This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 28th of May 2019. And as always, I'm joined here by my roving reporter colleague, roving Rubik, Dave. <laughs> roving Rubik. Yeah. Did you get wow. that? Did you get that? I mean, the listeners won't know yet, but... Uh, <laughs> It's very good. It's very <laughs> clever. Actually, there were people offering um, branded uh, Rubik's Cube style puzzles as giveaways on their stands. <sighs> yes, KubeCon. KubeCon 2019 Europe is uh, all wrapped up and, uh, yeah, all done again. Yes, and considering that you've been at the Rubik's Cube Con and the accompanying Cloud Native Con for a, a couple uh, for a couple of days in sunny Barcelona, we kind of decided to spend an entire news entire news episode uh, talking about all the fun stuff you did there. Indeed, indeed, it was um, it was a, an amazing conference. But I think before we launch into that, we actually have a little bit of a little bit of public service announcement, don't we? <laughs> yes, uh, we've got uh, a raffle going on, or a giveaway is a better phrase for it. Uh, we still have uh, some free ebook codes available from Manning Publications for the book by Jean-Georges Perrin called uh, Spark in Action, Second Edition. And the early bird uh, pre-access for our patrons has now ended, so you will find a tweet on my Twitter account about this uh, with an email address, and the email address is sparkinaction at roaringelf.org. If you want to have a free ebook code for that book, send an email. Make sure to tell me who you are and why you want it, because I'm curious like that. No, just kidding. <laughs> just send an email and uh, we'll be sure to get those free codes sent out as soon as possible. Only a limited amount remains, so don't delay uh, tweet or uh, email, email today. today. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks again to uh, Manning Publications for that, uh, for giving, uh, allowing us to give away those uh, codes, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and while we're doing uh, public announcements, uh, just a quick plug perhaps of our YouTube channel. Indeed, indeed. So, for those of you that are listening to us on YouTube, hello. <laughs> Can't see uh, us for yet. Those of, <laughs> yeah, for those of you that that aren't, also hello. Um, and for those of you that listen to us both on YouTube and on the podcast, then hello, hello, hello. in stereo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do you ever listen to them both at the same time? No. Uh, so yes, we we are now uh, publishing our episodes on YouTube as well. Uh, it's been something that people have requested. We talked a little bit about this before. Um, we would really love to, uh, you know, our first major milestone is 100 subscribers because that means we then get to secure our uh, our URL that uh, we're looking for. So even if you're just listening to this as the podcast um, via the normal methods um, and you, you have no interest or no plans to, um, switch across to to YouTube. That's absolutely fine. But we'd really love if you would uh, jump on and uh, just hit subscribe anyway, just so you we can kind of get get our our hundred subscribers secure our URL, uh, which of course will be the beginning of our YouTube world dominance. YouTube world dominance. Not sure if that's a good or a bad mm. thing. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. And going from one thing to another. Talk to me a little bit about the Rubik's Cubes and stuff like that. Yes. So, toy, very popular. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's not about <laughs> Rubik's Cubes. It's about Kubernetes. Damn. I was, I was focused on the wrong thing all this time. Yeah. So, KubeCon and uh, CloudNativeCon 
Um, it, it's an event that is really organised uh, by the Linux Foundation, falls okay. under their their banner, um, and so you can sort of find out about more events from events.linuxfoundation.org, and uh, you can start to look at all of that good stuff. But it was, uh, I have to say, it was a great event. Um, it was very, very well organised. Um, things went very smoothly, you know, all across the board from what I can see. Um, it was held in, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Barcelona in Spain at the uh, Fira Gran Via, which is a absolutely huge um, conference centre. Um, slightly amusingly and a bit of an aside, it's actually a conference centre that I've been to nearly every year for the past decade um, because I uh, I regularly attend um, the uh, Mobile World Congress event, which I, I have okay. done for kind of the last last three companies I've worked for in uh, one uh, one sort of uh, reason or another. So it was kind of it was kind of funny to be there, um, not not for work, Mobile World Congress. Um, and in terms of the sort of the size and scale, it was also pretty interesting. So KubeCon Europe this year. Um, there were 7,700 people uh, in attendance, which was very, very impressive. Um, and I think you know, some, you know, the last couple of DataWorks data work summits in Europe have been sort of closer to the you know, 1 to 2,000 mark, if I, if I remember correctly. And if, I, if I'm not remembering correctly, then uh, someone should please correct me. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, this is a good order of magnitude larger, um, even larger than sort of the US um, DataWorks Summit, and that sort of thing. So it's it's a, a huge event, although at the same time, comparing it to Mobile World Congress, which is sort of in excess of 50,000 people, um, it's it sort of... It's it's interesting because it feels like it feels like a small conference in that setting. Yeah, anywhere else it would feel like you know a, a huge um, sort of a huge event. But uh, it was yeah. it was really well organised. I have to say. Yeah, the whole container environment. It's still a niche environment somewhere, but it's a very broad niche, isn't it? I I think it's it's kind of interesting that. Um, it's it seems to be very much getting closer and closer towards mainstream. Um, the the sort of you know the overall um, topic or feeling um, of the conference it was very much around. Um, it wasn't really very much around sort of getting it up and running or keeping Kubernetes up and running and, and that sort of thing. There were definitely were some sessions around that sort of area still. Um, but it's really you know, the conference for me felt more about um, sort of you know production stories, um, more about people talking about you know their entire journey, looking back on it rather than their entire journey sort of getting started and looking towards the future, which I thought was um, was an interesting comparison to you know some of the the sort of the the more big data side of things that you know, obviously uh, I, I've been heavily immersed in for the last five years, where a lot of it felt like there were a small number of companies 
that were able to talk about their whole story and you know amazing things that they'd been doing with this for quite some time but a lot of organizations still seem to be quite early on in their journey yeah um Whereas this interestingly felt to me like a lot of organizations were already there uh, and not even, not just kind of technology organizations. Um, and we'll, we'll come to that a little yeah. bit later. But, yeah, before uh, you go into depth into the, the things themselves, uh, one thing you mentioned there is that it's uh, been hosted by the Linux Foundation, which is an interesting mm. thing for me because obviously Kubernetes is uh, coming from the school, uh, from the uh, school of uh, Google. They're the ones yep. that have all of the done most of the development and open source development, I should say. Of that, uh, is it an Apache project? I'm not entirely sure. It was, no, it's not an Apache not. project. Okay. But still, it's an open source project. But this is done yep. by the Linux Foundation, you say? Yes, indeed. Very much a, uh, a Linux Foundation event. So, do we actually feel a difference when you're at the uh, at the event there that it's not a Google conference but a Foundation Linux Foundation conference? Is there any kind of style to it? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that there, there absolutely is. In fact, one of the comments um, from a couple of people I spoke to is it it almost feels like KubeCon and Cloud Native Con. I'm, I'm just going to call it KubeCon just to. Shorten this down, otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, KubeCon. Although my voice is somewhat wrecked after several days of continuous talking, but um, so Kubernetes is an Apache licensed um, project. It's not um, Apache governed. So the impression that a lot of people have is that actually KubeCon is almost developing, evolving into like the premier um, free open source software conference um, in terms of the the breadth of organizations there and also the breadth of um, sort of topics covered. And the fact that, and this sort of, this kind of slightly bleeds into some of the the topics that people are talking around on the keynote, but I think is relevant here is, you know, Kubernetes isn't a destination. Like Kubernetes is not um, much like yeah, much like big data platforms. The word, the key word there is platform. Yep. You know, Kubernetes is a platform for building platforms. It's a you know, it's, it's a set of applications that tie together that you can then build applications on top of. It's not something that great. I've done Kubernetes and now my work here is is complete. This is just one of the kind of one of the tiers um, or one of the steps along the value chain that you're going to be kind of walking where the, the final end piece is something that delivers, you know, real value to your organization. Kubernetes yeah. is really just an enabler as part of that journey. I would even say it's even thinner than a framework because it's more of an orchestrator, right? Because a framework, you might yeah. say, is a container framework, which are Docker Mobi containers, Docker Mobi containers. And K- Kubernetes is one of the orchestrators, and it's the main one, of the, I should say the only one still remaining, I would say, at this point, uh, to, to orchestrate oh. that stuff. Right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So that is definitely true. Uh, it kind of, it kind of, acts like an API in between, right? It makes people be able yeah. to use the platform in a, a kind of consistent, predictable way and not having to learn Con- something Well, new. yeah, consume resources in an easy, yeah. predictable, structured kind of way. Um, the, the, one of the things that uh, that you mentioned was around the sort of the, the only one still around. Um, and I think that's a, a perfect way to kind of lead into... I'm not going to talk about every single keynote, but there were a couple of keynotes that I think are are really worth kind of digging into a little bit. So the first one 
on the first sort of main day of the conference, which was the the Tuesday, there was lots of other stuff happening um, sort of on the Monday with lots of lightning talks and, and kind of workshops you could go to and that sort of thing. But the main kickoff day of the conference was the Tuesday. And the main um, sort of topic there from the, the first keynote, which was from uh, Dan Kohn, who's uh, executive director of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. He was talking about this, this concept of um, simultaneous invention. And he actually went through quite a number of um, examples of where you know, a variety of things uh, were invented by two well, quote-unquote invented slash discovered by two different people at very, you know, during very similar time frames. And in often cases, one of them you'll rec- recognize and the other one you'll think, who's that? And it's quite kind of, it's quite interesting to, and he went through like a, a huge variety of, of uh, a different um, examples where, you know, from uh, from from Charles Darwin and uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Malthus, uh, through to uh, Gottfried Leibniz and uh, Isaac Newton, who were you know, independently discovered calculus and things like that. So he was talking about this concept around simultaneous invention, which is essentially the idea that um, it, it that the particular you know idea is just you know all the things that were needed for that idea to come to fruition, you know almost made it inevitable that you know a number of people would think about this idea um and he actually he actually used the example of the uh uh the tech tree in uh, Sid Meier's civilization you know you you build up your various different sort of underlying things that you need whether it might be you know um an armory and uh um i don't know um, i don't really play civilization so i don't really know what the different things are but <laughs> sort of the sort of mines for ore and then some sort of smelting plant to turn the ore into metal and then a um miniaturization uh, followed by computer of, chips followed by stuff see i do play civilization. yeah and, and sort of like <laughs> you have a variety of different technologies or things that need to be developed before something else can be sort of developed. And so he was saying that, you know, Kubernetes is very much in that um, sort of in that space, you know, where we do have, um, you know, there was, you know, first of all, servers got, got larger and larger, virtualization became something. Um, and then, you know, people were looking to uh, decouple and decentralize things and, containers came along and all these all these kind of things have been leading up to the sort of the the kubernetes style um uh yeah style concepts but the the really interesting thing was you mentioned like kubernetes being the only one that was around and i i sort of think of um when i think about that particular thing i think of well the other ones that were around were you know apache mesos and docker swarm mm-hmm. Th- those are the sort of the the two that immediately um uh, sort of bring to mind but the, the, one of the best parts of his keynote while the other bits were very interesting from a um sort of intellectually stimulating sort of <laughs> point of view the bit that was most entertaining for me was he went through a quick run through of all the different um, container orchestration uh, platforms that you know had existed at various times, and so uh, I'm going to do that same thing here. So here we go: Alibaba Sigma, Amazon Apollo, Apache Mesos, Baidu Matrix, Cloud Foundry Garden and Diego, CoreOS Fleet, 
Docker Swarm, Facebook Tupperware. <laughs> Go- <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, Google Borg and Omega. Uh-huh. HashiCorp Nomad. IBM Platform Symphony, Joyant Triton, Lyft V3 Infra, Microsoft Service Fabric, Uh Netflix Titus, Rancher Cattle, Red Hat OpenShift V2 Broker, Spotify Helios, Tencent Gaia, Twitter Aurora, and Uber Peloton. Wow. (laughs) I, I, I had not heard of at least like two thirds of them and like a third of them actually when i heard him say them i was like oh yeah exactly yeah i'd forgotten that was a thing <laughs> well, i didn't know that that was that was trying to do with that because it didn't feel like a orchestration layer That's yeah okay. so it, it was it was um it that was like a really interesting bit of uh i don't know archaeology archaeological uh discovery of the uh the sort of uh kubernetes like ecosystem but uh, there's the, a few other sort of things that really uh, were sort of highlighted there. And one was that they were talking about really sort of why Kubernetes, why has it had this, you know, success beyond everything else? Now, obviously, the, the web search kind of graph got popped up with, uh, you know, Kubernetes, Mesos, Docker Swarm, and Cloud Foundry all plotted together. And you saw, you know, all of the others just bobbling around the, the bottom and you saw the Kubernetes one just launching up and to the right, like all good marketing graphs should. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just talking about the fact that, you know, the, the sort of the, the three major points about why it works really well. And the first one was that it, sorry, why, why Kubernetes has been so successful compared to the others. Um, so the first one he was saying is ju- it just works really well. And that's not, um, you know, not trying to be sort of, uh, you know, showy or whatever. It's just that it's it's not just built on the sort of decade of learning with from within Google with their original kind of Borg and Omega projects, but also it's incorporating ideas from all of the different companies that are now uh, and and individuals that are collaborating within the um, the sort of the Kubernetes ecosystem. Um, the second one was around the fact that. Uh, it is vendor neutral and open source, and that um, many different organisations, all of them very very significant organisations, are actively contributing into this and deriving value from it, and that that's been sort of an incredibly um, sort of powerful part of that. That, along with the fact that you can now get uh, things you know certified. So you were asking earlier about the Linux Foundation and the CNCF that was created within the sort of the Cloud Native Compute Forum that was um, created foundation even that was created within um, the Linux Foundation to ensure that you can have you know certification against um, Kubernetes. Um, and the third and most kind of interesting one from my perspective is the fact that it's about the people. It's the huge um, sort of volume of um, people that have been uh, contributing uh, to Kubernetes as a whole. Uh, and in fact, sort of some of the later keynotes really did talk talk about this in a bit more depth, talking about the, um, I think it was 2.6 million, uh, 2.66 million um, contributions that have gone into Kubernetes so far. Um, 
and the, the breadth of uh, people and organizations and all of these kind of statistics um, that that meant that sort of the the Kubernetes as an ecosystem is a is an incredibly strong um, ecosystem and incredible it makes for an incredibly strong and powerful project. Um, the other interesting thing that came up a number of times through um, through the, sort of the keynotes um, were was the fact that the the foundation itself the um, the CNCF has also been doing. Uh, some really, honestly, very impressive work to um, sort of to bring people outside of the the normal um, ecosystem into um, you know KubeCon and into the the Kubernetes ecosystem. And what I mean by that is they've actually been kind of having members of the CNCF contribute um, you know funds to allow interns essentially to attend kubecon and contribute to the project um and it's we're talking about hundreds of thousands of of dollars here and it's it's just it's amazing and you you heard a little bit about um some of the interns and what they've achieved over the years and really uh, i found it very humbling i found it sort of very impressive that uh, that you know these people had been kind of bought in at such a relatively junior level and achieved so much. So I think it's it's amazing work. I think like hats off to CNCF and and the work that they're doing. I think it's it, you know it sh- it shows it's a very very well organised, um, you know, well organised um, you know project. It's a well organised um, event, and uh, you know the the foundation itself seems to be doing some excellent work. Okay. So, was there any kind of team or specific thing that was built around this year? Or I think the the majority of the the themes were around um, just this sort of this continued um, scalable growth of the Kubernetes ecosystem. It, it as I said towards the start. It, it it seemed to be far less about um, getting this thing up and running, and it also far less about sort of flashy new features, and a lot more about like really how boring Kubernetes is. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is just it just works. You just kind of deploy it, do do the sort of the necessary feed feeding and watering that you need to do to all systems like this. And it just runs, and it's it's resilient, it's reliable, and you know, obviously, you need to use it for the right things. And there's still a little bit of education there for people that are um, that are new to the platform. But that that seemed to be the sort of a lot of the core, um, a lot of the core message was really about how boring it is, how widespread its adoption is, how widespread um, its utilization was, and. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, that came through, you know, very strongly in in a number of the sessions. Um, kind of, if if you kind of now think about the the Wednesday sessions, um, there were two kind of keynotes there that just really um, I thought were absolutely excellent. 
So one was, um, I, I love a good kind of dumpster fire slash war story session. I've always loved those as individual sessions and, uh, and, and keynotes, uh, also just as good. And so, um, one of the guys, I think David from Spotify, um, David Shah, I think, um, was talking about how Spotify accidentally deleted all of its Kubernetes clusters with no user impact. Um, now, there's there's a little bit of uh, um, artistic license taken in that title, because um, while all of the Kubernetes clusters were deleted, um, they weren't all deleted simultaneously. But <laughs> over the course of them operating, they did they have managed to, um, over a period of several months, accidentally delete all of their Kubernetes environments in one way or another. And uh, and David actually was the person responsible for the, the first deletion of their, um, um, of one of their environments. And it was just, uh, it was, it was an excellent session, um, both in terms of, you know, giving people a, um, you know, a real, a real solid example of, you know, bad things happen. So, make sure you're sort of prepared for it. Um, but he went through a great job of sort of explaining how Spotify kind of um, splits its environments up. The fact that they have, you know, three different environments, one for Europe, one for the US, one for Asia. Um, how he accidentally one day uh, managed to uh, delete the uh, US Kubernetes environment Um and then at some point, only a, a month or so later, uh, his team managed to delete both the Asia and US clusters. Okay. Um, proving that so, experience helps. Well, proving that <laughs> mistakes will happen, so you may as well prepare for them up front. Um, and that was kind of one of his lessons learned towards the end. Um, now, it, to be sort of transparent on this, he was talking about the fact that uh, at at this time, Kubernetes was still sort of, this was kind of towards the end of 2018, mm-hmm. um, I think, if I remember rightly. It, Kubernetes was still considered like a, a beta service within their organization. So they were migrating everything to Kubernetes, um, but they hadn't yet done you know done the move for everything. So all the departments and divisions were told, migrate, you know, 50% of your um, uh, of your resourcing into Kubernetes-based um, solutions, but don't put anything yet. Uh, or uh, don't put everything in there yet. And uh, you know, so this was happening during their sort of migration process. And you know, that was one of the lessons learned from from him towards the end was, you know, if you're going to do a, a major migration like this, from a, you know, a traditional environment through to a fully containerized Kubernetes environment, you know, don't do it all big bang because mistakes are bound to happen. So make sure that you understand um, that that is the case and, you know, plan for that and, you know, learn along the way. Um, And they talked about a number of different sort of, um, you know, conditions that they had with sort of bugs in the cluster creation scripts that hadn't been touched, um, hadn't been sort of corrected over time and incomplete and incorrect documentation and, um, cluster creation stuff that wasn't idempotent. So if it failed, they had to like delete everything and restart it all from scratch and kind of all sorts of things. So um, the slides are available. Um, the talks, um, I'm pretty sure, will be available within the next week or so. 
um, you'll be able to just get on and and uh, and watch them as well. Um, I would thoroughly recommend, you know, at the very least the those ones that I've mentioned so far. Um, and the, there's kind of lots and lots of all sort of wonderful stuff that you can learn from that if you're if you're interested and if you're running a production environment um, and you're thinking about Kubernetes in the future. Again, I would thoroughly recommend you uh, you do. Uh, do watch or listen to that because I think you know anyone and everyone could find that uh, that sort of thing very useful. Uh, when they delete the, the clusters, did they also delete all the data or just the compute uh, behind it? No, everything, even the data. They yeah, but it was backed up. So they, they okay. although all the data was deleted on the you know that was within the clusters, they were able to restore all these things from backup. Because if it was not just a compute, I mean, looking at my customers, the whole Kubernetes, the whole the whole containerized environments are a big part of the serverless, uh, not service compute, uh, app service compute as well, but of the infrastructure as a service kind of uh, approach of things that you just de- yeah. deploy your whole environment with one button press. Typically, when people move towards containerization, towards something like a Kubernetes orchestrator, that's also kind of involved with that or very core of that uh, movement towards uh, uh, infrastructure as a service as well. So, yeah, I guess that, as we said uh, before on other topics as well, automate as much as you can. And in that case, when something does disappear, you should be able to regenerate it uh, quite seamlessly. But of course, it takes yeah. time. It takes time and you need to have, as, as we say with backups, you don't have a backup unless you've tested it and you've tested the rest, the restoration. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a backup. It's Best just a, a large chunk of data. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the other the other keynote that I thought was absolutely excellent was uh, by uh, a lady named Katie Gamanji, who's a cloud platform engineer at Condé Nast International. Um, so the the... the Topic title was a journey to centralized, globally distributed platform, and she actually sort of introduced herself and mentioned that she'd started at Condé Nast. Um, it would have been exactly a year the following day, so everything she talked about had basically been sort of achieved just in the last twelve months, and it was honestly amazing. You know, she moved. They Condé Nast for those that aren't familiar is is a sort of um, the print and digital publishing um, house, I guess, or um, umbrella, and you know some of the brands like Vogue and GQ and Wired and all those sorts of things are, fall under that umbrella, um, and they operate in more than twelve different markets, um, you know, globally. Um, and the, the story that uh, that she you know she shared with the audience was around their sort of their complete from start to finish experience i say start to finish they're still they're still very much in progress but they have i think out of the um i'm trying to remember now out of the something like 60 plus different environments um that they were serving from their legacy platform um they were sort of targeting 34 by the end of this year or yeah i think by the end of this year of, of which they've they've kind of already rolled out uh, I think eleven of those uh, so far. So they've they've made you know significant uh, progress, and it was just it was a great story, uh, and I think it would make a a great roadmap for any organisation that's looking to understand. You know, standing up one Kubernetes environment is one thing, 
standing or understanding how you can stand up multiple environments across multiple geos, um, you know, doing that kind of distributed content serving and all that sort of things, I think could be very interesting to a lot of organizations and a lot of people. And so if, if that sort of any of those kind of things um, sound interesting, I would, again, thoroughly recommend taking a look at uh, at Katie's session um, during the, the keynotes on, on day two. So really excellent. Okay. Um, so that's that's kind of it for the the sort of the keynotes and the particular sessions that I would want to want to mention. What I think would be useful to for us to talk about though is just some of the the overall feeling, I guess, and some of the thoughts around you know where this is all going. And mm-hmm. to me, that was the that was the, one of the most interesting thing is that I'm not really sure where it's all going. Uh, I like there's you know, the individual projects um, that are in the CNCF of which there are, Oh, that's, I think there are something like 26 different projects in the CNCF at various different stages of, you know, um, incubating to, you know, fully GA'd. Um, it's something like 26 different projects. And there are only, um, I think, six at the moment that are considered fully graduated. Um, so there's a lot of still quite early adopter stuff in terms of the projects. But also now if you think about the um, the, the, you know, the sponsor showcase, the number of organisations that were exhibiting in the sponsor showcase was you know, quite frankly, it was it was astounding. There was a huge number. Um, I don't even know how many organisations were there, but you know the 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 sponsor showcase was a, a huge part of the conference itself. Um, sort of not maybe not quite as large as the as the keynote area, but it was a very very large chunk of space. And I I, I wonder how this will sort of evolve in in the future and i guess what i mean by that is there were lots of you know small niche players and then there were you know, the the obvious uh you know, gorillas in the market is perhaps the wrong way to use but the the sort of there were there were the ever-present very large organizations there people like uh ibm and oracle and and vmware and uh, microsoft and those sorts of things and I, I wonder if you know, we're seeing consolidation in lots of different areas at the moment. Obviously, you know, Cloudera Hortonworks um, being one example that uh, uh, is uh, near and dear to my heart, but consolidation seems to be happening all over the place. And there were a number of um, people that I spoke to whose badge might have said Oracle, uh, and yet... Um, you know, less than 12 months ago would have said name of some small startup. And I think one of the things that I'm I'm wondering is whether we're sort of, whether the next step will be a lot of consolidation in this space and whether we will start to see uh, a lot of these um, these organisations start to get snapped up by, by some of the bigger players or not. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it seems to be a very very interesting sort of space right now where people are finding those little niches that um that that could be very interesting and would be very interesting to kind of accelerate enterprise adoption 
Um, but I think some of those organizations will end up getting snapped up by some of the bigger fish. Yeah, it's fertile ground at the moment. Of, of course, since it's uh, an orchestrator, a bit of a middleware layer, it's hard to consolidate it across the whole uh, the whole economy, I guess. What you will see, I think, and maybe already are seeing, is that a orchestration layer is embedded in a product. But considering you're talking about orchestrating a lot of containers, it can't just be, I don't know, a spreadsheet. It needs to be something rather large-ish already, or else you don't need this kind of scalable platform, of course. So, yeah, I'm not, it's it's interesting to look at how it's going to evolve. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we've got people like, uh, you know, Nginx that were recently acquired by F5 uh, you know they nginx themselves were very very prominent there um we've got bitnami that uh, recently acquired as well and and sort of the, just i think we're starting to see sort of a slow burn of of these organizations that have expertise in certain areas so there were organizations that were particularly focused on um you know secure communication between um, different elements within uh, a Kubernetes environment, which isn't something you get by default, but something you can do with you know, their particular technology that you can add on to it. And uh, you know, those are obviously the sort of things that uh, um, are very interesting to a lot of enterprise organizations. Um, yeah, but that's the difference, right? You have the one, on one hand, you have the things that enrich the Kubernetes platform itself. And then on the other hand, you have the things that use a container platform underneath whatever they're building. I mean, look at NGX. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I... Go ahead. I was going to say, I I think the the majority of the organizations that were there were were more about extending and um, enhancing the the Kubernetes experience rather than... uh, or or, uh, accelerating adoption or... um, you know, that side of things. There were very few uh, organizations there that were just our stuff runs on top of Kubernetes. Um, that wasn't really the the focus. Okay. So to compare and contrast, um, from my experiences at things like um, AWS uh, summits and events, there you do get a lot of people who are um, a mixture of people that you know, augment the ecosystem and then some people who run on top of the the ecosystem. Whereas this was a lot more about people extending, enhancing the the Kubernetes environments rather than just kind of, yeah, our stuff runs on top. When I was looking at all of the logos, on the site of the Linux Foundation events, uh, there's a whole bunch of logos uh, on the page for sponsors. And quite up there, I mean, Red Hat's a diamond one and Platinum, you have SUSE and Ubuntu. That's pretty much the, the big three ones, let's say, Canonical, Suze, and uh, Red Hat. Uh, mm-hmm. How are they involved here? Because obviously a lot of containerization is running on Linux these days, even though Microsoft is doing stuff with uh, Windows containers. It's 99.9% Linux at this point. But that being yeah. said, um, I'm guessing there could be some kernel changes being made to make containers I mean, they, run better or security-wise. It, no, I, I don't think it's as much that. I think it's that you know, most of them have got their own Kubernetes distributions. So like Red Hat have their, their OpenShift, for example. Um, you know, that that's, I think that's, if, if you want, uh, you know, you can get Kubernetes, you can get Kubernetes provided by most of those, most of those sponsors that you mentioned. 
So I think that's you know, that's their angle from that side of things more than okay. more than anything else. I was thinking because the whole Docker environment is originally coming from the Linux containers from uh, BSD Linux, I guess, uh, at the beginning. Uh, so BSD Linux doesn't exist. Apologies for any purists out there. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is still a thing that runs on your kernel. And I know that to make the, con- the containers, the old-style containers, secure, they had to change a lot of stuff in the kernel to make that work well. To the whole LCX, uh, Alexi LCX thing. LXC, LXC yeah. yeah. So that's still where these guys also have a big influence, oh, yeah. I'd say, right? Yeah. Okay. But I, I, that's definitely the case. And I'm sure there are some enhancements, developments, etc., um, sort of happening in that space. But it, it, I, I saw nothing there that really suggested that there was major sort of... Um, major innovation happening there. I'm sure there are incremental improvements, but it it, it, so, it seemed to be far more focused was around... Already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Far, more, far more focus seemed to be around kind of increasing the sort of the adoption, increasing the functionality, um, expanding, enhancing, you know, that side of things than, than sort of making core underlying changes. I'm... I'm absolutely certain that there is, there is some of that going on because it's an open source project. Of course, it's always moving forward. But uh, but no, it was it was a, it was an interesting uh, it was a very interesting conference. Um, I wish I'd had a chance to to see more of the sessions, but uh, I was kept very busy. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. I, I would also say um, uh, a quick shout out to everybody that I bumped into from uh, from days past. And uh, it was a little bit like a, a, a sort of reunion of, of sorts. Um, people sort of that I've worked with previously uh, scattered to the winds over time. And uh, this seems to be where many of them have ended up. So anyone that uh, stopped me and said hello, uh, hi back. <laughs> uh, well, maybe a final question from me then. Uh, mm. The whole KubeCon and CloudNativeCon. Uh, I've been going through searching on uh, on the web a bit, uh, the 2017, 2018, all had KubeCon and Cloud NativeCon at the same time. Uh, I didn't search any further back than that, than that because I was late starting to search, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> do you know if that always has been together or if uh, KubeCon was the first one and Cloud NativeCon joined them at a certain point? And will in the future, do you think, do, have you heard anything or do you think that it's going to merge together as one, or are going to keep on having this dual naming there? Because it's a bit confusing, to be honest. I I don't know. I don't know. I think that they will probably continue with this this kind of dual naming, um, kind of at least short term. But I think it. I think it does actually pose an interesting question, which is to me is when does if if it does. When does Kubernetes become so ubiquitous that actually you don't even need to say, "Oh, yeah, I'm running on you know Kubernetes on Azure or Kubernetes on um, uh, on Google or Kubernetes on um, on Amazon?" But you just like people, oh, I'm just I'm running on Amazon, and they happen to be consuming Amazon's container service because why would you do anything different? That that to me is the sort of the interesting sort of progression i think if if this rampant kind of adoption continues um i mean there will always be a a place for and a time for people that just want to stand up things on um essentially disposable virtual machines that they can spin up in the cloud and whatever 
but if if the sort of adoption of um you know kubernetes as a uh, as a framework but also as a a platform to utilize continues at the pace that it is at the moment you know could uh, could could the concept of kubernetes just fade into the background and actually you know cloud native con could equal kubernetes and kubecon in the future i don't know i'm looking through the Linux Foundation events site here. I was actually looking when the next KubeCon is going to happen. I haven't mm-hmm. found that one yet, but I do see there's also the Kubernetes Contributor Summit, which uh, next one's in Shanghai next month, and there's another one I saw somewhere else in San Diego in November. So this KubeCon is one co- event uh, concerning Kubernetes, but apparently this co- yeah. co- Contributor Summit is something else again. Yeah, That's an yeah. additional one. Uh, oh, and I did forget one final shout out that uh, I must make is I uh, I did go and have a quick chat um, to the Apache Pulsar, the, the folks manning the Apache Pulsar stand, and they were from a variety of different organizations, including Yahoo Japan. Um, so a quick hello uh, to uh, the folks um, that I spoke to from Yahoo Japan at the Apache Pulsar stand. Uh, I mentioned that uh, I spoke to CG and Mateo, um, previously, a number of times, and uh, one of the eyes lit up that they they knew who you were, so that's always a good sign. <laughs> um, so, CG Mateo uh, and uh, you know, your the the team there did you proud, and uh, it was uh, really nice to see uh, Pulsar in uh, in in such a good light. But uh, yeah, excellent. And uh, thanks for that little shout out. I got the time to find the next KubeCon and I'm actually quite happy because the next KubeCon is March 30th, April 2nd, 2020 in Amsterdam. There you go. Guess who's going to be there? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think so. I wonder if we're going to have a venue big enough for this, but uh, that's still a year away. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, indeed. Anything else from you? Uh, nope. I'm all cubed out. Yeah. It was a great event. I look forward to the next one. And uh, I think in that case, that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps. If you're listening to this on YouTube, then please like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and to get more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. That's a nice editing misery you give me. Yeah, true.